surf guitar as she scraped a piece of lung tissue into a thick test tube and inserted it into the Gentra system's AutoPure LS to be centrifuged and combined with chemicals to extract the DNA. She'd then have enough viral genetic material from the corpse to analyze the DNA sequence. Alex dotted some extra lung tissue into a series of four flat, round Petri dishes, placed them on a tray, and then walked over to the gleaming silver refrigerator. As she approached, she was lost in ideas about her research and didn't give a moment's thought to her reflection in the gleaming door. She was five-seven, with a beguiling heart-shaped face and blonde curly hair that flowed past her shoulders. Her trademark black turtleneck and blue jeans were nicely taut over the curves of her otherwise lean athletic body. She wore no makeup, but the impetuous sparkle of her blue eyes attracted more men than would the application of any product from Bloomingdale's cosmetic counter. Once the Petri dishes were carefully situated on a rack, she closed the refrigerator door, which caused her 3D fortune-teller magnet to give a brief audio prediction. Beware of men who want to change you. Alex rolled her eyes. Now you tell me. She'd bought the magnet at a flea market the previous weekend because the turbaned woman resembled her mother. So far, she'd gotten better advice from the magnet than she'd ever gotten from her mom. Alex entered her glass-walled office at the back of the lab to survey her emails while she waited for the DNA extraction process to take place. Her lab at AFIP was a state-of-the-art DNA testing facility. Three $300,000 gene sequencers filled one side of the room, giving her more power to explore genetic mysteries than most state crime labs or even most overcapitalized biotech companies. The room circulated its own highly purified air to ensure the best possible growth for her tissue cultures without risk of contamination. She felt that the mix in the air also helped her think more clearly. Or maybe, after all her moving around as a child, A sleek laboratory with its dependable equipment was the one place she felt at home. Alex had joined the AFIP six months earlier, a fiscal beneficiary of escalating terrorism in the years following the 9-11 disaster. After an anthrax-laden letter was delivered to a White House staffer, an undersecretary from the Department of Defense had called her. He'd read about her work trying to sequence the genome of the 1918 Spanish flu virus which had killed more than 40 million people worldwide. It was unique among flus because its victims were young, previously healthy adults. The Defense Department brass feared that terrorists could use the 1918 flu virus as the perfect bioweapon. Deadly, invisible, unstoppable. He'd offered Alex a -a once-in-a-career opportunity, a two-year appointment at AFIP, with as much money, equipment, staff, and resources as she needed to sequence the flu genome. Alex didn't think twice, didn't even ask for more money than she was making as an assistant professor of molecular biology at Berkeley. The AFIP had something she wanted more than riches, the recently discovered body of an Inuit woman who had died of the flu back in 1918. Alex had tried finding the virus's DNA in hospital tissue samples from patients of that era, but she'd stumbled down too many false paths. Some of the samples were too deteriorated to yield any DNA. Others were mislabeled, 
and the cause of death turned out to be dysentery or a different virus than the 1918 flu. The Inuit woman's body would cut years off Alex's roundabout attempts to sequence the flu genome. Alex felt that she could persuade that corpse, woman to woman, to yield up her genetic secrets. Despite the century between them, Alex would be able to understand the language in the woman's cells, that secret genetic message written in the chemical bases of A, adenine, C, cytosine, G, guanine, and T, thymine, the sweet, mysterious alphabet of human life. In medical school, Alex had obsessed over the diseases that cut down people in their prime, the college football player who died of a heart attack on the field, the eighth-grade computer whiz whose skinny body gave out when his lungs gave in to cystic fibrosis. For so many of these diseases, these ghouls that reached into healthy bodies and squeezed the life out of them, their hideout was in the genes. As the centrifuge churned away, Alex picked up the box labeled A slash Brevig Mission slash 1 slash 18, which encased the Inuit sample. In 1997, D. Johan Hulten, a retired pathologist from San Francisco, had exhumed the woman's body from permafrost in a mass grave in Brevig Mission, Alaska. Eight decades earlier, the Spanish flu had swept through the Alaskan woman's village in less than a week, taking the lives of 72 people, almost every adult in the town. Hulten had discovered three bodies in the grave, but it was the woman who was best preserved. It bothered Alex not to know the woman's name. She thought of naming her after a talk show host, such as Ellen DeGeneres or Rosie O'Donnell, in the hopes that she would blab her secrets. Yes, the name Rosie would fit. The Inuit woman was, well, to put it politely, more than a bit overweight. The two bodies on either side of her in the mass grave had turned to skeletons, but her fatty padding had insulated her body, keeping the tissue and its genetic blueprint intact. The combination of the woman's obesity and the temperature of the permafrost meant that her lungs, which were likely to have the highest concentration of the virus, looked like she had died just last week. Alex decided she would go online to find an Inuit name that was close to Rosie. In her glass-walled office, Alex powered up the computer. Through picture-in-picture on the screen, she caught the opening image of a CNN broadcast, a photo of Marilyn Maine, the wunderkind CEO of DataSmart, a software company that made Microsoft's operating system seem like something from the Stone Age. Rumor had it that she was about to unveil a notebook computer that would give Apple a run for its money. Alex turned on the sound. The Dow Jones took a dip this afternoon after the brutalized body of Marilyn Maine was found in a luxury suite at the Au Contraire Resort, said the male anchor. Her locked room showed no sign of forced entry, leading to speculation that she knew her assailant. Now, the pert female anchor, half his age, could add the personal touch as photos of an elegantly dressed Maine at various philanthropic functions filled the screen. The glamorous billionaire kept company with some of the world's most eligible men, but in the end, she died alone, a poor little rich girl. How vapid, 
thought Alex as they moved on to the next story. Nothing about Maine's Ph.D. from MIT or her dozen patents, all of which Alex had read about in scientific journals. And what's this dying alone shit? The woman was murdered. Somebody was in that room with her that night. Alex turned off the news in disgust, but had no luck finding an Inuit-language website. She took a cursory glance at her email, one from her mother, an Oberlin College professor in her fifties. Janet still dressed like a 1960s flower child and used the screen name Wildflower. She'd shown up for Alex's medical school graduation wearing a flowing orange and purple Indian sari with little bells among the hem of the pants. Well, what do you expect from a cultural anthropologist? Another email was from an MIT microchip engineer she had met at an American Society of Human Genetics meeting. Right before she left Berkeley for the job at AFIP, she'd spent a weekend with him at an oceanfront bed and breakfast in Mendocino. It was a disaster. As they strolled the beach, he launched into a dissertation about the adhesive properties of grouped silicate surfaces. In their cozy room, he seemed more interested in the compressive properties of their mattress than in exploring the soft curves of the increasingly frustrated woman lying next to him. That was the problem with dating people in her field. Scientists were grounded in the physical world, constantly searching for the logical formula behind how things functioned. In sex, love, romance, she was intrigued by the inexplicable. She had enough of her mother in her to want the razzmatazz, the whole abracadabra. Her need for spontaneity, drama, unexpected excitement led her to people like Luke, her latest ex, who would wake in the middle of the night.